0: VOC Nation provides live, daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer, the maestro, What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter too, at VOC Savage has
1: regained the championship. This right here is the future of wrestling.
2: VOC Nation Radio Network, Wrestling with History, the voice of choice, Bruce Word, Killer Ken Resnick, and we're here for episode number two of our brand new format. So those of you who are new to Wrestling with History, we are going back to starting with the year 1983 and covering in long form, wrestling through what we consider to be the golden era. So I'm Bruce Word, the voice of choice, and I have a former AWA, WWF, LPWA, Steel Domain Wrestling, Roller Derby, and a whole bunch of other things he's done. Mr. Killer Ken Resnick, what's happening, Ken? Well, first off, it was Roller Jam. I'm not that old Where I
1: was still where I was doing Roller <laughs> Derby. <laughs> I just want to clarify that. But, boy, I tell you what. I, I, I am really glad we're talking wrestling because I know you living outside of Philadelphia and me living in Minnesota, we sure as heck
2: don't want to talk about football. Oh, what a terrible <laughs> week for sports. <laughs> oh. And baseball too. I'm I'm just disheartened right now as a Philadelphia sports fan, a lifelong Philadelphia fan. Just just a tough week, Ken, and, and well, <laughs>
1: How, how can you be disheartened the Twins clinched the playoffs? Well, I, I don't understand. What's the problem?
2: Well, as I sit here, so I watch every year. So for the last, like, four years, the Phillies <laughs> drop out of the race in September. And this year, we've uh, went right down to the last week where they've decided to fall apart. Uh, they, are, they are, as we record on a Tuesday night, they are leading the Nationals by a run, the woeful Washington Nationals by a run in uh, the eighth inning. So we're in extra innings in game two of the doubleheader. Doesn't that sound weird, the eighth inning being extra innings?
1: Yeah. um, It's like I was talking to a good friend of mine the other day that obviously, you know, with this pandemic, all the sports had to, you know, make huge changes, shorten the season, do a lot of things. But to me, the the most disheartening thing was – well, they they had to shorten the seasons. You know, the NBA, the NHL, the WNBA, the MLS. They didn't change the game. Right. The game was the same. The right. number played, everything else. But you know, yeah, we're playing seven inning double headers. Uh, we're going to be like Little League. We're going to start if we go in extra innings. We're going to have a guy right on second base. It, it's like, I mean it's the national pastime. Why do you have to mess with it? You know, it was like 60 game season, expanded playoffs, everything, but don't change the game itself. But you know, that's,
2: I think, you know, a lot of these things were done in the interest of trying to prevent injuries. So they, you know, they try to speed the games up and not let them go so many innings because you have pitchers that were ice cold. You know, they, they had all this work in, in February and March and then they take months off. And and I think they were just trying to get through, uh, knowing that maybe they, had, they would have some sick people along the way and they'd have to. Uh, shut those people down. I think they're trying to get through. But in the process, it's so weird because they've just totally changed the game. And you think about all these seven-inning doubleheaders, what could have happened in the eighth and the ninth inning. And the rule about starting a guy on second base. So, I mean, we can go on and on and on, Ken. Uh, But I don't know if people want to hear us talk about sports. They probably are tuning in to hear us talk about their favorite period of professional wrestling – which is uh, the middle 1980s. You started in 83, which is why we started our coverage then. And we're just taking people on a journey and giving them an inside look from your perspective. And I think it's something that's unique. And last week we had... Uh, numbers in the thousands of people that tuned in for the very first time to hear what Killer Ken had to say about 1983. So check that out. Make sure you subscribe, not just to us, but to all of VOC Nation's programming. Go to VOCNation.com or find VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. So Apple, Spotify, iTunes, Uh, i said itunes google play whatever you like to get your podcasts on go and find us besides wrestling with history with uh, myself and killer ken you have brady hicks from pro wrestling illustrated doing in the room on tuesdays they take live callers and you have wcw former wcw star the maestro with wcw retro on thursdays shelly martinez Formerly Ariel and Salinas in WWE and TNA on Tuesdays with Shelly Live. She also takes callers. Wes Briscoe does a podcast on VOC Nation. And we welcome into the family Sassy Steffi, the independent star. She's a lovely young lady. She's been on the independent scene for, gosh, probably about 10 years now, maybe a little bit longer and we're happy to have sassy Steph starting this week. Uh, so, Ken, before we get started and we get into the uh, the latter part of 83 going into 84, you have some big news coming up because uh, coming up this weekend, you're going to be doing a live event to benefit St. Jude's Hospital. And I want you to talk about this, but talk about – all of the cool things that uh, our friend Marty at T-Mart Promotions is doing because he's, uh, he's really kept his business going in a unique way during the pandemic. Uh,
1: I mean, Bruce, uh, it, it's going to be amazing, I think. Uh, and, and I'm so uh, honored that uh, Martin D'Amato is bringing me in uh, to co-host with him. But it's going to be a Facebook Live event Uh, And all anyone has to do, you can go to uh, Martin T. -T Mart D'Amato, D-A-M-A-T-O, his page, uh, Martin T. Mart D'Amato, party page one, party page two, send him a friend request, but he is going to go 24 straight hours. He's starting Friday at six o'clock Eastern time, going until Saturday at six o'clock Eastern. Um, And he is donating 25% of all the proceeds for signed pictures, items auctioned, everything to St. Jude's Children's Hospital, which is just such a a fabulous facility where if your child is being treated there, you you never get a bill. <clears throat> they, they, they fly people in. Uh, it, it's just fabulous. But what's amazing, um, not that I'm amazing, but along you with You are amazing, me,
2: Ken. You are amazing. Mart-
1: Martin is also bringing in, we're all going to be on Facebook Live with him, Ted DiBiase, the million-dollar man, Steve Kern, who, you know, most people know from either the Fabulous Ones or as Skinner in WWF, and then he was Bad Doink. Uh, and they're also bringing in Baby Doll. So we are all going to be on live, you know, it's it's virtual. I mean, we're all going to be there in person, but it's going to be 24 hours live. On Facebook, will kind of all be alternating, but there's just, you know, there'll be signed pictures from anyone you want. You can get assigned how you want. Uh, a number of auction items, figures. Um, I think everyone is bringing in uh, ring worn attire. Uh, that you can bid on. And uh, Martin has just put together this, this amazing event, which originally, Bruce, as you know, was going to be Labor Day. But Martin tested positive. He was kind of doing the 24 hours as a tribute to the old Jerry Lewis telethon, going for 24 straight hours, Uh, but Martin is going to be on 24 hours. We're all going to be there. Uh, I'm going to be there Friday night. I'm going to be there Saturday. Uh, It's just going to be uh, a a fun event, and uh, for anyone that is tuned in, uh, it's a lot of fun because throughout the time on, um, Martin has been known to consume a Heineken or dozen or two dozen.
2: Now, Dan, will you be going 24 hours in a row as well?
1: Uh, no.
2: Okay.
1: <laughs> I, I'm older than Martin. I don't have that kind of stamina, but I'll be on um, for quite a bit. Um, I get in late Friday afternoon. I'll be on for quite a bit uh, Friday night, and then again uh, probably mid-morning Saturday uh, till, till 6 o'clock.
2: Uh, and but I'm, I'm
1: old. I need. I'd say I need my beauty sleep. But uh, that train left the station, so I just need sleep.
2: <laughs> Everybody should check it out. It's on Facebook Live. Look for Martin T. Mart Damato, and remember, the proceeds go towards St. Jude's Children's Hospital, and uh, it's just a, a very, very worthwhile cause. So. Make sure you check it out, and uh, you get to hear from the million-dollar man, Ted DiBiase, besides our old friend Killer Ken, Steve Kern. Just uh, a fun time, and and check out some of Marty's other stuff because he's he's definitely kept busy during the pandemic, and I think you'll have some fun, Chad, taking a look at it.
1: In, in fact, the week following, uh, he's going to have Scott Steiner, and the week after that, he's going to have Rick Steiner with him. Uh, I, I, I absolutely cracked up today. Marty posted it. I don't know where he got them, whether he had them made, but among other things, he's got he came up with like a six inch mini microphone. He's going to have me signing. Um, so he's about a, as as creative as they come, uh, and just a wonderful guy. And, and I mean, as it, it, you know, having dealt with so many promoters, the thought of he said, I'm gonna give twenty five percent of everything and not net yeah. of every dollar taken in to to St. Jude's, which is pretty amazing. So I'm really honored and, and looking forward to being a part of it.
2: Well listen, Ken, when you're there, make sure that sometime during that that session you let everybody know that's watching Facebook Live That they can go on to vocnation.com or Pro Wrestling Tees and they can go into the shop and they can look for the Killer Ken Made It Real t-shirt. And if they buy that t-shirt and send it to you for your own price, you'll autograph that for them too. (laughs) So they have to get the Killer Ken t-shirt. And everybody that's listening here should know that as well. Go and check out the shop at VOC Nation or on Pro Wrestling Tees. Look for VOC Nation and find the Killer Ken Made It Real t-shirt. Because, Ken, back in the 1980s especially, you made it real.
1: Um, I I certainly try, and I've heard that. (laughs) Um, and, And I mentioned it before. Um, We were there a little bit together uh, in the AWA, talking about uh, the late, great, you know, me and Gene Okerlund, Um, and Gene was so fantastic with his, if you will, kind of comedic timing within the body of interviews, um I was just smart enough to know that there was no way I could do that anywhere near the level of greatness that Gene did. So I just kind of subconsciously said I'm going to play this absolute legit that it, that it, it's totally real. So even when we were doing shows together there would be you know a, a marked uh, difference um, and you know when Gene kind of left suddenly for WWF so then I was the main guy um, some of the best advice I got was just be yourself if you try and be someone you're not uh, you it won't be believable <clears throat> And the other great advice I got, which, which I always remembered and kept in my mind throughout, you know, interview days or whatever we were doing television-wise, um, was the best way to get yourself over, not only with the, the boys, the talent, but the fans, is by never trying to get yourself over. Sure. So yeah. uh, that, that's, you know, how I played it.
2: Well, and they say that about managers, too, about managers not trying to get themselves over, but you get the talent over, and in the process, you get yourself over. So I think that that is the, it's the same thing, and at least in my opinion, and who, who am I? But uh, in my opinion, it's the same thing. As an announcer, you want to get the talent over, not not really make people remember you. And if you do that effectively, you'll be remembered as a good announcer. Do I have that right?
1: Uh, I, you know, I I, I think so, uh, and I, I would say you're right just based on the the wonderful feedback I've gotten from so many fans. You know, having done the gathering, the big event, or, or on social media, uh, because that was the the one thing I, I really tried to do, and as I look back now maybe a a little bit to, to my detriment, but I was so conscious of never trying to either overshadow the talent or take away from the talent that I think sometimes I didn't react to things as much as I should have because I didn't want to distract the viewer from the talent. Um uh, and sometimes uh, you know now with YouTube and as uh, people send things out in, in old shows and interviews uh, on on social media, I, I will watch an old interview, something will be, take place where I say to myself now, I should have reacted more to that, but you know it was my choice to never overreact or try and take away from the talent
2: well i want to ask you something and and then you know this is a very important show because this is the crucial time in wrestling where you're going from the end of 83 and 84 and so much happened in pro wrestling and and we know one of the big events that happened on january 23rd of 84 but we will get to that in just a second i want to get to the feedback from last week's show because we got a bunch of messages that came in and i want to read some of that but why we're on the topic about you making it real, I want to ask you, we started in 83 with the, this show, because that's when you started in pro wrestling. So I got to ask, we know your background about getting into the business. You told that. In long form, if you look all the way back in the archives of the first, uh, the first, first version of wrestling with history, when we we took calls and just a different formatted show, but we did a long form show about how you broke into the AWA and and really a, a recap of your career there. But when you got into wrestling, Ken in '83, did you know that wrestling was predetermined and? Uh, Well, that's the simple question. Did you know that wrestling was predetermined? And when did you get smartened up that that things were, uh, quote-unquote, a work?
1: Uh, You know, being of, I guess I want to say at least, average intelligence, um, I knew it wasn't completely what it appeared to be, that, you know, punches were, throwing and, you know, uh, holes, you know, that looked like they would be extremely painful. There wasn't a lot of pressure being uh, applied. But early on, you know, I had a pretty good idea, but I, I didn't realize it was quite a, as scripted a, as it was but this was funny you know we would do uh usually it was tuesdays was our interview day in the awa where we and again remember in those days you did market specific interviews that you know you might do the the talk about the exact same match but you would talk about it coming up in St Paul, and you would talk about it coming up in Winnipeg, and you talk about it coming up in denver and you so you did interview after interview <clears throat> and and the way it was set up, you know we were in the studio of a television station uh and <clears throat> if people don't know, <clears throat> there was you know like a a, a huge kind of uh set that, you know, behind me was a, a large piece of wood that was just straight and that had that big red, white, and blue AWA logo. And then it kind of jetted out uh, to the sides at about a 45-degree angle. Uh, so, you know, you didn't see anything but, but the, the stage uh, and the backdrop. <clears throat> well, sometimes... I'd be doing an interview, you know, with, you know, a, a wrestler, <laughs> wasn't going well, and, and Vern or or Greg would say, stop, we got to do this over, uh, or they'd want to talk about something. And then it would be like, you know, uh, Vern would go like behind one side, even if you know, with one of the heels. Would kind of go behind the set from one side, and then the wrestler and and maybe his opponent would would kind of go in from the other side, and they'd be back there talking about it, then they'd come out again for different different sides and act like it had never happened that you know <laughs> and, and i'm sitting there saying to myself and you know knowing what it was, you know I was still a new guy, but i'm thinking, really, you think i'm that dumb <clears throat> Uh, but that's kind of the way they, they played it. But, you know, it was the, the, the kayfabe era and you kind of had to pay your dues and, and get accepted into the club. And uh, we were getting ready. Uh, It was one of my first trips. In fact, it may have been up to uh, Winnipeg, Uh, but at uh, TV, uh verne had said oh when we get back next week uh i'm gonna take you out to the camp and just show you some different holes, so you'll understand you know kind of the pressure points and things that i think that'll really help you in your play-by-play oh boy well i you know i was a little naive so i was like you know okay well that makes sense and You know, Gene had left, so, I mean, there was a time where I was doing both the interviews and the play-by-play and even doing some ring announcing. Uh, So, you know, I said, you know, okay, you know, well, we'll be in the office and, you know, tell me where, you know, one day next week. And and that was it. And then, uh, like, the night before we were leaving, I think this was the next night, Wednesday night, I get a call. And somebody said, is uh, Ken there? <clears throat> you know, you didn't have caller ID or anything like that. <clears throat> and I was, like, uh, speaking. And then the guy, the voice goes, is this, you know, Ken Resnick from the AWA? And I'm thinking, ah, oh, who is this? <laughs> and you know, I said, well, yes, it is. He goes, Ken, it's Hulk. Listen, man, where do you live? I'll pick you up tomorrow morning when we go to the airport. And I'm like, Huh? <clears throat> I tell him where I live, and I'm thinking, you know, is he trying to pull a rib, get me to miss the plane or, or whatever? So I kind of had a friend of mine on standby because I really wasn't quite believing this. You know, why is the, the, the top guy in the territory coming over to pick me up? Right. And sure enough, I walk out, and here's the dark blue Lincoln Continental town car. And you know, I get in and Hulk says, Listen, you know all this shit is fake. Oop, you know, excuse me. Uh, well it's a podcast. But he said, You know all this stuff is fake, right? All Vern wants to do is take you out to that camp, stretch the hell out of you, hurt you, making you think this is believable. It's that this is real. Treatment.
2: Whatever
1: treatment. exactly. So it was Hulk that said, Whatever you do. Don't go out there. And then we talked a little bit more, you know, on on the way. So it was actually Hulk Hogan. And I don't even know if if Terry remembers it, but it was Hulk that, that smartened me up because, you know, obviously he liked me and he, the idea of Vern and Greg taking me out and trying to, you know, hurt me or stretch me a little bit, he just wasn 't buying into, so it was actually Hulk Hogan uh that smartened me up I mean I had a pretty good idea uh, and then once it became obvious working in the office, you know then I was able to 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 have in depth conversations and i mean i I still marvel at you know how lucky was I to be able to to talk about and, and learn. The psychology of the business between, you know, high spots and false finishes and everything else from the likes of, you know, Bobby Heen and Nick Bockwinkle, Blackjack Lanza, the crusher, the mad dog. You know, I, I mean, it, it was, you know, um, I, I, I couldn't soak up enough. But uh, to answer your original question, it was Hulk Hogan that actually smartened me up because he didn't want to see me get hurt
2: well that's uh that is noble, so there 's all the Hulk Hogan haters out there that think he 's a terrible guy. Hulk Hogan saved our buddy Ken Resnick from a few broken bones and and some stretched uh, muscles and and tendons very good wow that's uh I, ken was there was there a lot of people that worked on the TV show you know not the talent but other interviewers, broadcasters and um, you know just people around the product that never got smartened up and they they might have thought it was it was actually legit
1: well i I mean if you're at all around it or around the locker rooms i I mean it, it was pretty obvious that you know all was not exactly as it appeared to be but i i don't know um that you know they were smart enough to the degree where they knew it was you know predetermined and high spots and false finishes and all of that was worked out uh, ahead of time um, I think in a lot of instances uh, people that kind of came in were were smart enough to know that they shouldn't ask or say anything but you know it's it, it, it's pretty difficult, like I was used to laugh at the St. Paul Civic Center, because there were always some people, you know, backstage, but, but not in the locker rooms. Well, there was like a huge locker room, but there was two entrances, so the eels would, you know, come in and out of one, the baby faces would come in and out of the other, you know, entrance, but it was the same locker room. So, right. uh, but I, I I would surmise that a lot of people didn't, you know, understand that or you know the, you know the specifics of the business but um you know even as you know bruce it, it's pretty hard to be around it for any period of time and not kind of figure it out
2: well right especially as you said when you you start to see the same guys doing the same interviews just for a different yeah. town uh you yeah. know that that something something just doesn't add up all right so last last week we talked Uh, a lot about 1983 we talked a lot about the AWA your time there and we kind of led up to the point when Hulk Hogan started to ask uh, you know he was looking for greener pastures he he had that decision to make does he want to stay with the the uh, schedule where he could have some time off or does he want to go and uh, take over the world with Vince and and we kind of left it right there and I I just want to get to some of the feedback that we got from last week's show and, and take uh, a couple of these uh, comments and questions. How about we do that? And then we'll, we'll keep on going with our story. Ken,
1: there's a reason you are the voice of choice.
2: Yes, the reasons are waning day by day, but I still hang on to that moniker. Read 50. Uh, what happened to Ganya is strikingly similar to what, happened, what is happening to Vince McMahon today. Stuck in an old pattern and a failure to adapt. Back in 1983, McMahon was young, ambitious, and had all sorts of ideas. Now he's like a stubborn old boat captain prepared to sink with his ship. I realize it's his toy and he can do what he wants to it. But for the sake of WWE's future, McMahon should back off and let new blood take over. What do you think about that, Ken? We, we, it's it's very, very ironic because we talked a lot about uh, Vern Gagne being stubborn. He wouldn't adjust. He didn't think anybody could conquer his, his uh, kingdom that he built up. And he ended up crumbling. Is Vince McMahon susceptible to the same thing with uh, AEW and some of the other you know, new style startups that are out there? Well,
1: you know, I, I, I agree with the comment in some ways, but I, I, I take a little exception in that, you know, Vince was the one that changed the business originally. You know, he inherited, uh, the WWF from, you know, his father, uh, and instead of keeping it you know real old school in terms it was of it being all about the house shows vince was smart enough and realized that you know television could be a super revenue stream in and of itself so you know he changed the business you know He moved out away from the studio wrestling. You know, even when we would go to Poughkeepsie, that was really the first, you know, television that really had an arena look. And then we'd go to Brantford, Ontario for the same. So Vince realized what television could be in terms of advertising revenue, in terms of secondary marketing, driving T-shirt sales and hat sales, you know everything else and and driving towards pay-per-views so it wasn't that you know vince wouldn't change i mean he was the one that changed the business and then you know wrestling bruce has always kind of been a cyclical business would have its ups and and have its downs and i think Vince realized after a while that the, the golden era, the, the kayfabe era, was maybe getting a little stale. And for those that don't remember, he basically ended the kayfabe era because he was getting such revenue from his pay-per-views that he didn't want. You know, the athletic commissions yeah. in the the big states were getting. Uh, two to three percent of the gate. And then they also said, well, we're entitled to two or three percent of the pay-per-view monies. And for those that don't know the way pay-per-views generally work, you're responsible for all your production costs and whatever revenue the individual cable companies take in from the buys, they keep half. So, you know, Vince was enduring, covering all the expenses, the production costs, paying the talent, everything, only getting 50% of the revenue, and now he had athletic commissions that were demanding, you know, 2 and 3% of the pay-per-view revenue. So that's the reason he said, you know what, we're not athletics. It's predetermined. It's, it's, it's not real, and I'm not paying it. But that aside... I think, you know, he realized, especially after the the end of the the kayfabe era, and a lot of people that would be the the end of the business. Vince again realized that there's got to be something new and different. And then he moved the business from really wrestling to entertainment. So he, He's kind of changed the business twice, but I, I agree what's happening, I, I think, by, by the, the ratings uh, and, of course, the COVID not having fans. But the, the entertainment end of the business, which has kind of overtaken the storylines and, and the actual wrestling and psychology, is beginning to wane. And now it'll be interesting to see, you know, uh, if Vince is willing to kind of change back. And the only reason I say change back is, uh, you know, I, I can't imagine there being yet another, you know, road to go down, you know, in, in the business. Um, so I, I, I agree with the comment, but, you know, take exception to a, to a little bit of it as well.
2: I don't know if you've, if you've uh, followed anything recently, but they got this angle going on with this, this group called retribution. And they started by having these guys come in and they would destroy the set. You know, they would use explosives and really make threats and they would attack the talent and almost like an NWO style beatdown, down, uh, mixed with the dark order in AEW and I guess last week, and I don't watch the current product. I'm, I'm going to say that out loud right now, so that nobody can attack me for it. Uh, I'm just kind of going by what I, uh, the basics of what I saw and the feedback I saw. But last week, this group comes out, and now, now, Ken, these people have destroyed property. They've attacked people. They've attacked announcers, and and they've. You know, destroyed WWE stuff. So
1: you're you're talking about the you're talking about the protesters now.
2: Well, uh, (laughs) I'm not going to say anything. uh, (laughs) I'm not touching that. Uh, These are these are angry, violent people that came and they're they're destroying things. So, anyway, long story short, they announced last week that you know they're going to take the WWE down, uh, but they've signed a contract. (laughs) They've signed a contract to be wrestlers. Uh, and, and there's some kind of a quid pro quo pro or something. But it's the stupidest thing I've ever, ever seen. I guess to get the WWE to... Um, let them reveal who they are. They signed a contract and that was their way of doing it. Just silly. Doesn't make any sense because you know, if they were trying to maintain any semblance of reality and have fans suspend disbelief, as soon as the people signed contracts, they'd be arrested. I mean, they were destroying and blowing up things. Come on. Uh, I mean, just silly stuff.
1: Well, you know, that's one of the, the, I, I guess, biggest problems I've had Um you know, back in the 80s and, and you know, even the, the 90s, um, you know, there was, you know, even a close friends of mine, there was always the, this kind of, you know, shred of doubt, you know, wait a minute, this can't all be real, can it? But almost all of the, the, the storylines and angles well, yeah, it kind of required you to to stretch your imagination a bit, but they were at least somewhat believable. Uh, And, you know, nowadays, um, it's just, it's not. I I mean, um, it's like, you know, I've kind of said that, and, one of the things that, that I don't think uh, you know wrestling fans think about, but I, you know I give uh, Vince McMahon a, a lot of credit for. If you think about it, uh, they're one of the busiest production companies in the country. When you think about you know uh, Raw, NXT, SmackDown, and all the other shows that they produce, for the WWE network to me, you know, I've kind of summed it up that they're really not in the wrestling business anymore. They're especially now with no house shows. They are a television production company, but the episodes they're producing revolve around wrestling but it's more about production and hours of television than so much in the old days it was all about the product
2: sure yeah it's it is it's not it's not about matches and 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 the the stars of the matches and putting together a card it is it's an episodic television show, but I think even when you're watching a good TV show, Ken, you kind of lose yourself in the show and you, you want to believe that it's real. And I don't, I just, I mean, this is my personal opinion. I don't think the WWE is doing a good job at, at that. I think you can criticize AEW all you want. And I don't think they've been perfect, but not, not even close, but I think they've, done a better job lately of putting on a more compelling product that wrestling fans can get behind
1: uh, well we, we talked about it a couple weeks ago um, you know I, I watched uh, a- AEW the the first couple shows were great then it kind of tailed off yeah. um, I caught it again uh, a, a few weeks ago and, and it was a pretty good wrestling show I watched you know uh, almost all of it the, the one thing that, it, that I, I, I think it's sad, and, and this is not a criticism of AEW or WWF or WWE, I'm still used to the WWF, but it they are after so much, if you will, instant gratification, and while the athleticism compared to the 80s and 90s it, today is is far superior... It's like high spot after high spot after high spot after high spot, <laughs> where even watching on television as a fan, you don't really get a moment to digest and appreciate what you just saw because there's another one, and it's like the old style psychology of the matches where you know the the talent would would put things together to get the the crowd emotionally involved, even before the pandemic, uh, the the psychology of individual matches to me w- was waning or, or, or almost gone as opposed to, you know, high spot after high spot after high spot. And it's like, you know, how many times can you see somebody fly over the top rope and there's three guys standing there waiting to catch them?
2: Right, right.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, now if you watch really closely or uh, if you rewind it and go in slow motion, you could see the guy standing there with their arms <laughs> out waiting to catch it before the guy even goes into his move. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, I, I think a lot of times today it's it's about spots. And, and you hear some of the old-timers talking about this, even when they're training, guys just want to get their spots in. They have a couple things that they, they make sure that they do in every match, and I think it's kind of always been that way, but uh, in the older style, the period that we're covering, it was about the art of the match and making everything make sense. Now, I think if, as long as they get their spots in, they don't, some of them just don't care if it even makes sense. Uh, let's uh, let's take a couple more comments, Ken, and then we'll get into uh, the the core of the show today. Uh, Stingray, I am not, nor have I ever been a Hulk Hogan fan. Even I have to admit, not putting the title on him was a massive mistake. Go watch the AWA Super Show. That crowd didn't want Hogan to be champion; they demanded it. He was white hot. Then they did the Dusty Finish. You can see, hear, and feel the crowd getting deflated. The match was in the middle of the card. The matches which followed were in front of a dead and defeated audience. To put it in a modern context, imagine if Money in the Bank 2011 ended in a DQ win for John Cena. Yeah, Ken, we talked about that last week. Um, I think that could have been one of those moments for the AWA where the fans might have just given up and said, uh, we're tired of this.
1: Oh, I I think so. And and what was the uh, name of the individual that made that comment? Stingray. Stingray, I could not agree with you more. Uh, There always used to be the old, you know, axiom, you kind of want to send the crowd home happy because they want to come back. Um, And I think the way they did that, uh, the crowd was not so much depressed. They were angry. They were mad. And I think he's right that a lot of people, you know, kind of said, that's it. I'm done. Um, be, because it, you know, the, the referee didn't call this supposed, you know, Nick being throwing over the top rope. And all of a sudden the promoter who wasn't even at ringside comes running out and says, no, 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 wait a minute. You know, two, 10 minutes ago, this happened. Um, it, 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 it's like, you know, it was certainly within their, you know, within his right, if, if Vern, and there's a case to be made that sometimes you, you know, he may have felt you could make more money, uh, having Hulk chase the belt than have the belt. But the way they did that was just, it, it, it was bad Oh It, 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 it was uh and you know I, again just my supposition um i think that may you know besides you know money and exposure <clears throat> um uh, i would have to think that the way that was done probably <clears throat> went into hulk's thinking in terms of you know whether to, to leave Um, You know, and one of the other things that that always bothered me, Hulk went to Japan as was scheduled. (laughs) And over there, he notified, because I also was working in the office, he notified Vern he was not coming back. You know, he was going to WWF. Um, And it always bothered me um, that they continued... Uh, to air and have me do interviews with his opponent in the various cities for those markets uh, as though Hulk was going to be there and on the card uh, when they knew full well, he wasn't. Hmm. Um, And, you know, in a couple of cities, I had to be the ring announcer to announce to the crowd that Hulk Hogan would not be appearing. Um, So that, uh, you know, it's it, it, sometimes it comes down to well uh, you know what's right and and what's wrong and i i always felt that was just wrong
2: it almost seems like that's uh that, that could be a legal issue in some some way shape well or form.
1: not not really because uh if you look at Every program, even today, posters, you know, it always says in very small print, yeah. cards subject to change.
2: Cards subject to change. Yep, I get it. I get it. Yeah, but uh, that that dusty finish on Hogan. You said last week you think that there might have even been – like Hogan wasn't necessarily – he didn't know that that was going to happen, didn't I mean, you said you're not sure about that and, and – I, 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 know, I'm not. But...
1: I mean, I, I never talked to to Hulk about it. And as I reflect back and all the time we had together in WWF, I don't know why I, I, I never asked him, but I, I was sitting a, at ringside. Uh, he had the belt. He was celebrating. The crowd was going wild. And when Wally came out and announced that, he, he had a look on his face. Like, what are you talking about? What? Uh, I, I mean, uh, not so much, you know, uh, storyline disbelief, but more like, what? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, again, uh, very upfront. I, I never had a conversation. I never asked him. Um, but uh, I I don't think he was expecting that. Um And, again, as you talked about, you you kind of have to wonder um, why you would do that to, you know, anger the crowd, uh, you know, so much. I mean, if you you didn't want to put the title on them, there were about, you know, a hundred other ways you could kind of screw them out of it other than – You know, giving the crowd this, you know, unbelievable emotional high and adrenaline rush only to, you know, take it back, you know, about, you know, something that that happened 10 minutes ago in the match, which during the match, you know, nobody even, you know, screamed about. Uh, And I mean, even you know, Bobby at ringside, he wasn't screaming about he should be disqualified because he threw him over the top rope. The match just kept going. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's, uh, that's one I don't know.
2: Let's, uh, let's do uh, one or two more, and then we'll get into uh, the core of the show this week. Let's see. I'm just sifting through. So, oh, okay. come on. Our,
1: our listeners are so important. Instead of one or two, let's do two or three.
2: Okay. Jason S. <laughs> from Brooklyn. Uh, of course, no AWA show would be complete without the legend himself, Vern Gagne, in the main event. Even at this stage of his career, Vern, Bill Watts, Fritz von Erich, even Dusty Rhodes, all were guilty of this. Did Vern uh, – uh, <laughs> I mean, he was, he was pretty up there in years back in 83. Was Vern in the main event um, most nights?
1: Yeah, a lot of time. I mean – There were a lot of nights he didn't wrestle, but one of the great lines of all time and one of the best laughs I've ever had. I can't remember, you know, what show it was, but I remember sitting in the locker room. I was talking to Nick before the matches and Nick looks over at me and he goes, well, did you ever think you'd see the day when a 50-year-old trying to beat up a 60-year-old would be on top? Oh boy. I mean anybody that knows Nick that, that was typically Nick, but god I remember I was laughing so hard, but he that was the main event a fifty year old trying to beat up a sixty year old
2: <laughs> oh boy, nameless, nameless says I missed the a w a pre nineteen eighty seven or so booking for the Salt Lake City market was great. They had monthly shows at the Salt Palace and would sell out once or twice a year. I remember a three-match series between Rick Martell and Nick Bockwinkle that had the whole crowd cheering for Rick not to jump off the top rope, even though in the match it wasn't a DQ. Too bad Vern couldn't handle the business end. Yeah, uh, the AWA, and we talked about this last weekend, the star power was just amazing. And if he, if he could adjust and – get his hands on what the business was going to evolve in in the 80s, I, I think they they would be in the position that the WWF is in today. Who knows? I,
1: I, I, I don't disagree. And, and one of the things that, that sometimes gets lost, yes, the AWA had star power, but as nameless reference, they also had incredible matches. You know, you can have star power and a not very good match, but the, the training and a lot of that, you know, is, you know, through Vern. Uh, but besides star power, they had some incredible, incredible matches. I mean, uh, when they went around the horn, Rick Martell and Nick Bockwinkle, I, I mean, that was as good as, as you'd find, you know, anywhere. And I think a lot of that, and again, that the credit kind of uh, goes to Vern, where even the big stars, even when they would go to smaller markets, Vern set the tone. The stars never mailed it in. I mean, they put out, and their whole focus was to deliver a great match that the crowd would be invested in. So not only did they have star power, but they had some pretty memorable matches between the ropes.
2: All right. Final comment from Bain. <laughs> he says, nobody ever asked Ken about his killer dance moves in the wrestle rock rumble video. And Ken, I think we should save that one for when we get to 1986. Isn't that, isn't that only appropriate?
1: Um, I think we should save that for 2029.
2: There we go. There we go. Ken, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. We'll uh, run some commercials and we'll come back on the other side and we'll transition from 83 into 84 and then, Obviously, next week we'll, we'll really get into 1984 uh, tremendously. But we wanted to get a lot of good comments. We want you to keep those coming in. Either tweet us at Voc Nation. Uh, I also see the comments. So when we've gotten great coverage of this show from 411 Mania, from WrestleZone, Zone, uh, I don't want to leave anybody out. PW Insider. <laughs> A lot of the the wrestling websites have really taken to this show and covering us. We appreciate it. You can leave your comments on those sites, and we kind of look through the comment boards. Uh, right up there on VOC Nation, you can leave a comment. There's all kinds of ways to interact. You can even use old school email and send an email to Bruce at VOCNation.com. So we'll take a quick break. We'll come back on the other side with 1983 transitioning in 84. There was a very big event that happened down south in the NWA, and we'll talk about that. This is Wrestling With History Worldwide in the VOC Nation radio
0: network this is the switch to the doctor of style and you're listening to voc nation check out in the room
2: every tuesday night at nine listen in
0: pro wrestling illustrated brady hicks former wcw star stro maestro kazzy fist
2: matt grimm
0: and you know we there too right Ray? we sure are and we've got great guests like lex luger aj styles taku and more it's a heck of a party
2: Mr. Chris Cruz, what's going on?
1: Jesus, how did I get roped into this? General Adnan went to school with Saddam Hussein. He cried, I cried, he cried, and who could have cried? Adnan lost a lot of family in the rocky war.
0: Everybody loves
2: Granny. Wow. Yeah, see a lot of people don't know that. Yes, yeah, so Daddy, you
0: guys are busting
2: me up. Catch Wrestling with History with Ken Resnick and I live on VOCNation.com Wednesday nights at nine thirty Eastern Time or listen to the podcast by searching VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app.
0: On Wrestling With Problems, we deal with two things, wrestling and problems. On the wrestling side, we cover the major feds as well as the indies. As far as problems go, we cover our problems, American problems, and world problems. Sometimes the problems are even related to wrestling. Every week, comedian King David Lane, and wrestler, promoter, Chris Press, discuss the best and especially the worst in the world of wrestling with a heaping dose of comedy. Check us out live on VlcNation.com or on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Yo, this is Jerry Stein of the Nasty Boys. Yeah, Brian, now Yeah, you get ready to get nasty. Well, listen to the VOC Nation, baby, cuz
0: it's about to get nasty all around and up on this mother. Get ready. Nasty sensation is coming at you.
2: The worldwide leader in entertainment.
1: This is the VOC Nation Radio Network.
2: VOC Nation Radio Network, wrestling with history. Having a great time this week. Killer Ken Resnick, the voice of choice, Bruce Wirt. And we're talking about the transition from 83 into 84 and covering some of your feedback from last week. And uh, we got a lot of it. Keep it coming. Again, we're here every – this show drops every Wednesday – uh, on on a on a week where Ken's traveling, like Ken's going to do the St. Jude's charity show with uh, T-Mart Promotions in New York this week, so he'll be traveling over the weekend. So on those kind of weeks, we might drop it on Thursday, but generally, if you subscribe to VOC nation radio network, you'll get this show either Wednesday or Thursday. I want to remind you if you're tuning in and you, you didn't listen to the, we had wrestling with history in a different form where Ken and I took calls and we had a bunch of guests, lots of great content. So check out some of the archives uh, and, um, and some interviews that we did with uh, Adnan LKC, Tito Santana, Danny Davis. There's a lot of great stuff, so go back and check that out. Uh, but if you don't know and you really are are missing out and you don't have your Killer Ken Resnick t-shirt, make sure you go to vocnation.com. You can get a Killer Ken shirt. You can get the Four Faces of Stroh t-shirt. That's, uh, you know, the Maestro from WCW. You can get a VOC Nation t-shirt. If you hate politics like I do, there's some great political t-shirts or anti-political t-shirts, shall I say. Don't identify as red or blue, just be you. And there's also a big ugly t-shirt with Brady Hicks. So there's tons of great shirts. Shelly Martinez, Wrestling With Problems. Go on to VOCNation.com or visit the VOC Nation shop on Pro Wrestling Tees. Ken.
1: Don't forget the... just. Voc Nation T-shirt.
2: Yes, that's what I see. Yeah, the the Voc Nation T-shirt. Oh, Pens-
1: okay. Well, I was I I was such a uh, such a loss. I've I've heard of two faced, but I never heard of four faced.
2: <laughs> four faces of Stro. So he was, you know, Maestro is the I think he's the nephew of Gorgeous George. So. Uh, uh, there's uh, four different major gimmicks that he's had across over time. He's had the gorgeous George gimmick. He's had the maestro gimmick. Now he's just stroke. Cause I think, uh, you know, WCW and now Vince McMahon owns the maestro name and, and there was one more. So, you got to get that Four Faces of Stro t-shirt. And he's such a nice guy. I have to say that and and say that out loud right now. The maestro, he's been part of the VOC Nation family for quite a long time, and he's one of the nicest guys you'll ever meet. So make sure you listen to his show Thursday nights. And he takes calls, and uh, he, I think he just had Judy Martin on last week. He had David Arquette on a few weeks ago. Good show. And one of the nicest guys in the business. Uh, You've met Stroh, right?
1: Uh, Actually, I haven't. I just learned something. When you were talking about Strohs, I thought you were just, um, you know, feeling like a cheap beer.
2: (laughs) Oh boy. (laughs) Listen, the most attractive t-shirt we have is definitely the Shelly live shirt. It is a beautiful picture of Shelly in a uh, two piece. So, Um, I think that is my favorite t-shirt, but uh, I want to say this actually on air too. There was a very loyal caller and a loyal listener named Chris from Minnesota that has been with us. He used to call into the live show that we had and Chris won a contest for a t-shirt. It seems like years ago now, but it was probably a couple of months ago we got all of his information and this is on me, Chris. I never sent the shirt. So your shirt is on its way. So uh, be on the lookout. Check your mail every couple of days for the, the Killer Ken shirt.
1: Well, Pro Wrestling Tees makes a great T-shirt, but their delivery is a little. So <laughs> I would say maybe Chris start checking it in a couple of weeks. There you go. There you go. All
2: right. Ken, before we sign off this and and we're going to really – Wrap up 83 and, and set the stage and we'll cover 84, uh, at the beginning of 84, the beginning of Hulkamania next week. But there's a big trade that went on where Jim Cornette, Dennis Condry, and Bobby Eaton, along with the Rock and Roll Express, leave Texas and they go to, I'm sorry, they leave Memphis and they go to uh, Mid-South Wrestling which was Jerry Jarrett's promotion uh, in exchange for Jim Neidhart and Rick Rude. So I can was, uh, I was a young guy in the 1980s and I, I'm a student of the game, but I'm not uh, as student as studious as some. Tell me about before we get into Jim Cornette and his impact on the business, this trade is monumental because it really I mean, you think about the Rock and Roll Express versus the Midnight Express and that feud um, that headline shows for a long time. That was the creation of the Midnight Express. They they needed a manager. Jimmy Hart wasn't leaving Memphis. So uh, so Jim Cornette came with these guys and, and, and history was made. But before we get into that, tell me about the NWA and how all those promotions Interacted. I mean, was there, for fans that don't know, was there an NWA TV show, or was that just a collection of different promotions run by different people that all kind of shared talent from time to time? How did it work?
1: Well, the, the honest answer is, Bruce, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, until Vince came in <clears throat> to the Minneapolis-St. Paul area and, and bought TV time, the only show that aired here was the AWA. And, you know, remember in the mid-late 80s, there, there wasn't the Internet where you could go online and, and find out about other promotions. You know, the only way was you know Pro Wrestling Illustrated and some of the other wrestling magazines. But by the time they hit the newsstands, the, you know, news was a month or two uh, old that you were reading about. Uh, So I I can't answer that because I I don't know. Uh, But, I mean, think about this for a second when you talk about that trade. Uh, And, you know, Jim Nyhard and and Rick Rude, you know, both went on to to great stardom. Uh, But trading, you know, Jim Cornette, the Midnight Express, And the Rock and Roll Express. I mean, that kind of harkens back to. Now, who did the Red Sox get for Babe Ruth? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, again, I loved, you know, I worked a little bit with Rick Root, uh, worked a lot with Jim Nyhart, you know, great, great guys. Uh, But boy, I, I mean, Midnight Express and Rock and Roll Express are. You know, literally, I mean, tag team royalty.
2: So here's the story. November 1983, Bill Watts recognized that business was down a little bit in his territory, which was Mid-South, and he was looking to reinvigorate. So he asked Jerry Jarrett and Jerry Lawler to visit a TV taping and offer their opinions. Jarrett suggests a talent trade, and he invites Watts to Memphis to see who he likes. So after watching the taping in Memphis, Watts takes singles performers at the time. They weren't even a tag team. Dennis Condry and Bobby Eaton, and he wanted to create a new tag team, which was the Midnight Express. And he also took the existing team of Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson as the Rock and Roll Express. So Watts at the same time notices this brash young manager in Memphis, Cornette, and you know, he saw, I think he had a quote out there that says he was so obnoxious he wanted to slap him. And and Jim Cornette was the guy that came in that trade because Jimmy Hart, uh, Jerry Jarrett still wanted Jimmy Hart in Memphis. So Watts took Cornette to manage this new team, who he names the Midnight Express, and history's made. He sends Rick Rude and Jim Ninehart to, uh, to Memphis in that trade. But just amazing. And I, I, I want to spend the last couple minutes of the show – Tag team wrestling back then was was it was not uncommon for that to be the headline of the card. I mean, the Midnight's and the Rock and Roll headlined uh, cards for a long time, and then the Road Warriors. You got Arn and Tully. Yeah, rock
1: and Roll Express still are headlining some independents.
2: <laughs> Isn't that crazy?
1: But but yeah, I, I tell you one thing. Um, obviously, it, it didn't exist, but. But now we have it in in every other major sport. But in 1983, if there was an executive of the year award in wrestling, Bill Watts would have won it unanimously.
2: Yeah, and and tell me about that. It's because because of that trade you're saying, right?
1: Yes, sure.
2: Oh, yeah. It's like uh, the general manager – and and you know we talked about baseball in the beginning, but I don't think Matt Klentak, the Phillies' general manager, is winning any awards this year. For, uh, yeah, pro- pro-
1: probably not. Probably not. The, the
2: worst bullpen in the history of uh, Major League Baseball. If it's not, I think it's either number one or number two. But another story for another day. But think about that trade in the way that that set up the uh, the mid South territory. And um, I, I want to spend some time on that next week. I also will spend some time on uh, Jim Crockett Promotions, and as as Vince McMahon was setting the stage, and we'll talk about Hulkamania next week and his title victory. Uh, Jim Crockett was the uh, he went he was going to expand nationally to compete neck and neck with McMahon. So we talked about Vern Gagne, you know thinking that he would try to invade other territories and he didn't protect his home. Uh, So Jim Crockett was kind of in the same boat, really spreading out and trying to expand and get up into the Northeast to combat McMahon. We'll talk about the uh, McMahon's buying time on TBS. And that's famous black, black uh, Saturday. I think it was where they took over time. That was, traditionally world championship wrestling. So lots of crazy stuff happening in 1983 going into 1984. Uh, but this was fun, Ken. I mean, I think what fans got out of today is a great story about how you were smartened up in the business by Hulk Hogan. And I don't think that a lot of people knew what happened. Uh, I think that people probably didn't realize that Vern was still advertising Hogan for shows and, acting like he knows showed. And, and, uh, I I can't even imagine what the house was like. I mean, were people, were people violent, were people asking for refunds? How was, how were the crowds reacting to that?
1: Uh, I I think a lot of people tried, uh, (laughs) trust me after making that announcement, I didn't mosey on up to the box office. (laughs) I'll give you one other as we, we close out. Uh, Uh, I don't know that uh, very many people uh, know this, but you you mentioned early on in the intro uh, when I was doing Roller Jam, uh, we were taping out of uh, Universal Studios in Orlando. um, And one day a guy comes up and taps me on the shoulder and I turn around. It's Rick Rude who was down there trying out uh, for roller jam, he really couldn't skate, but he was more there, uh, trying to get hooked in to kind of show, uh, all the skaters a little bit more, you know, how to take bumps and falls. It, it never worked out. Uh, but I was just, you, you can imagine, uh, coming into, to practice. Rick Rude was one of the last guys I expected to see on the roller jam set.
2: Rick Rude tried out for what well, what year is this?
1: Um it had boy uh sometime in the 90s. Uh I think like probably late 90s.
2: Yeah man that was uh, I guess before he got back into it with uh with WWE F and WCW at the time because Rude had cashed in on a policy. I think he was one of those guys yep. that cashed his Lloyd's of London. So he's probably looking for something to do that wasn't pro yep. wrestling. There you yep. go. Everybody, if you didn't learn anything else today, you learned that Rick Rude tried out for a roller jam and uh and what ended up happening and did did he ever make it to? Uh, uh,
1: no, yeah, it never did, and, and I, I you know he I, I never saw him after that one day, uh, but. <laughs> It was funny because you could tell uh, the skaters had absolutely no clue who this guy is, and you know I I t- turn around and it's like I'm going, "What Rick, Rick What are you doing here?" <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh boy! Well, you only get this stuff on Wrestling with History. Check it out every week. We'll, we're going to take you from 1983 all the way through the uh, the Golden Era, which kind of wrapped up in the, the early 1990s. And then and then Ken and I will figure out what to do from there. But we're going to have some fun, share some stories. We want to hear feedback from you. And you can do that either on Twitter, at BruceVOC, or at VOCNation. We check both of those. Leave your comments. So when the wrestling sites cover our show, you can leave your comments there. And we uh, find them or you can do the uh, old school thing and send an email to Bruce at bocnation.com. That's it for this week. This has been a a fast and furious edition of wrestling with history. We didn't get too deep into 1984 at all, but uh, it, it was important that we, we recapped and we, finished out 1983 next week we're going to talk about the birth of hulkamania in wwf we'll talk about jim crockett promotions and their response we'll talk more about verne and uh kind of his 1984 with killer ken over there and a whole lot more this has been wrestling with history exclusively on voc nation radio network you can hear it on any of your favorite podcast app and we'll talk to you next week
0: regained the championship. This right here is the future of wrestling.